For the Pacifica Radio Network and from KBOO in Portland, Oregon, this is Progressive Spirit, progressivespirit.net. I'm John Schock. I'm in the midst of a series of interviews with holy, healing, spiritually disobedient, creative, and awakened women. The first interview was with Angela Yarber, creator of the Holy Women Icons Project. Last week, I spoke with Carol Howard Merritt. She has written Healing Spiritual Wounds, Reconnecting with a Loving God After Experiencing a Hurtful Church. Today, my guest is Maggie Rowe. She's the author of Sin Bravely, a memoir of spiritual disobedience. Throughout Maggie's childhood, she was deathly afraid of going to hell. This fear stayed with her through college. She watched a Japanese film about punishment and retribution, and it put her over the edge. She's written a book about her experience in that facility. It's a hilarious book about a serious problem, hell-based religion. I've talked to so many people who like, have doubted whether the prayer took Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but most people are able to brush those feelings away and focus on the finite. And I wasn't. I couldn't swipe it from my mind. Anything that seemed fun, you know, like, you know, it, I'd be at a softball game. I used to play softball. And in the middle of running around the bases, I would go, oh my God, did I really mean it? Did I really mean it with all of my heart? Um, So I think many people worry about it, but I think mine ended up being the extreme. For the last 15 years, Maggie has performed in and produced the Comedy Central stage show, Sit and Spin, created by Jill Soloway. Uh, Los Angeles' longest-running spoken word show. She's sold pilots to Disney, Nickelodeon, and HBO, co-scribed the screenplays for the film's Bright Day and Out West, and has written for Arrested Development and Flaked. She's the creator of the theatrical satires Hollywood Hellhouse and Hollywood Purity Ball. And now she's on the big time by being on Progressive Spirit. Uh, She has a new book (laughs) called Sin Bravely, a memoir of spiritual disobedience. And she's here uh, to talk about this book. Welcome, Maggie, to uh, Progressive Spirit. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad you're here. This is a a, a fun book. I say fun, but it's it's terrifying as well. I mean, it brought back PTSD for me. I I grew up in a fundamentalist church uh, going forward, I remember. you know, when I was eight years old because my sins were so grave. Uh, and, and so I don't know if I had it quite as serious as you did, but tell me a little bit about the premise uh, for your book, Sin Bravely. Basically, um, it, it takes place over three months in an evangelical psychiatric facility because I was scared of going to hell. And not that I thought I was going to hell. I just couldn't prove that I wasn't because we were told in Sunday school, the whole idea was if you accept Jesus into your heart as your personal savior, then you'll be saved. But the catch was you had to mean it 100%. So that's a pretty difficult figure to determine. And there was a, there's a verse in the Bible that is, uh, if you are neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm, God will Bit you out of his mouth on Judgment Day. Yeah, and I didn't feel like I, I didn't feel like I was on fire for the Lord. I wanted to watch the Brady Bunch and eat frozen Susie Q's. Like that sounded just 
distinctly lukewarm to me. So I tried to bring up some fire in my belly and love the Lord. And I witnessed uh, to people in high school, even though it was humiliating and I didn't want to do it, especially my Jewish friends. I was terrified for them. I believed that they were going to be tortured in hell eternally forever and ever unless I did something, unless I tried to convince them to accept Jesus into their heart, even though I wasn't sure that I'd ever actually really sincerely done it. Um, so it created a double bind, um, you know, a real internal conflict. How old were you when all of this was going on? I started at five. And I, I always remember this one moment. I've talked about it in therapy a billion times. <laughs> but I was on my front lawn with a couple of my friends, and we were twirling around in a circle until we got dizzy and fell down, and then we'd giggle and giggle and giggle, and it was a great amount of fun. But I was doing it one time, I was five, and I stopped and I was like, oh, what am I doing? I'm not preparing for my eternal destiny. What am I doing spinning around on a lawn? Like, I need to be worried about the infinite and not the finite. It was a young age, but I was, I was terrified and I was more concerned about my eternal damnation than anything else that was going on. And when you talk to people about this, or did you um, talk to adults or Sunday school teachers or, or whatnot? But what did Great they say? question, <laughs> which I love to answer. Um, my parents were amazing. My parents were like, if you are worried about it, then you must be a Christian. If you didn't believe, you wouldn't have this fear. But then I had this one pastor, who I'm still so angry at all these years later. <laughs> um, I, I was about seven and I told him, I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm just worried that I'm not really a Christian, that I, that I didn't mean it with all of my heart. And he told me, if you are really a Christian, the Holy Spirit will convince you that you are. So mm. the fact that you're worried is indication that you have not been saved, which was terrifying. <laughs> so the more I was afraid, the more it seemed to confirm that I wasn't actually a Christian, uh, that I hadn't actually meant the prayer and um, been truly converted. Maggie Rowe is my guest. If you're just joining us on Progressive Spirit, the author of Sin Bravely, a memoir of spiritual disobedience, talking about how her fear of hell ultimately uh, put her into a psychiatric unit. And, and that film Dreams, the Japanese film, kind of pushed you over the edge. And before that, I'm, I'm, I'm cheering you on. You're doing so well. I mean, you're going to frat parties. You're in love. Things are, <laughs> things are going. And then, man, and then it just hit back again. During that time that you were are kind of... Um, coming out a little bit and doing some sinning, uh, so to speak. Uh, yes. Were you feeling better? Or were you still yeah, have this well, nag in the back of your head that this was all wrong? Good question. I had a little nag in the back of my head 
but it was such an intense period. You're, you know, your freshman and sophomore year in college, you're discovering so many things. So I was just able to kind of push down and repress these fears of hell and damnation. And I just pushed them down and down and down. And then that film released it. And I actually, I, I read an article uh, years later that Kurosawa said what he was trying to evoke with this film was fear of the afterlife. So mission accomplished. He did it. He did it for you. <laughs> All right. So you go into, um, this kind of does it for you and you realize you need, you need some serious help. And so you go into what I, I, I find these two words together, incredibly scary, evangelical <laughs> and psychiatry. Uh, but that's what it was. What was it more of evangelical or actual mental health help? Great. Um, well, their slogan was race points, psychiatry where the Bible comes first. It, it was definitely more Bible-based. And there was one moment I had uh, my best friend there, this woman uh, named Kathy, and she was talking in therapy one day about her father who had molested her. And she wrote a letter to him to read out loud to the group which basically said, how could you do this to me? I trusted you. I was your daughter. How could you be such a And as soon as she said that word, the counselor said, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, okay. We don't need to use that kind of language. That's not edifying to the Lord. But of course, like she was experiencing such strong emotions and she needed that, those strong words to express it. So there were a lot of times like that where they would choose before what would be healthy for you. Um, mentally, they would try to uh, follow the Bible. You have an excerpt uh, that you're going to read uh, from your book. Can you, can you set that up and, and read that? Yes, I am grabbing it right now. In eighth grade, I decided the only thing to do about my increasing terror was to commit myself further to Christ. So I signed up for the Hope Valley Baptist Youth Ministry Group, Awana, encouraged by its thick, glossy brochure, saturated with multicolored hope. Awana was led by Mr. and Mrs. Pikenide, a childless couple in their mid-50s who prided themselves on making the gospel fun for young people. God had called them to minister to young people. In reality, all this meant was that us young people got a snack break while Mr. Pike and I juggled for us using a variety of fruits, vegetables, and bean bags shaped like crosses. Mrs. Pikenide bragged that Mr. Pikenide had once been one of the country's most famous Christian jugglers, a claim which, given its narrow scope, I suspect might very well have been true. Every week, the Pikenides would teach us, using lots of shiny airborne objects, how to convert our friends to Christianity. But the problem was, I didn't want to convert anyone. I didn't want to proclaim to all my friends that I thought my God was better than their God or their family's God or even their lack of God. Middle school was hard enough. 
I already couldn't drink beer or swear or gossip. And when the popular girls asked me to let them cheat off my tests in biology, I had to reply, oh, I so wish I could, but I'm a Christian. And endure their icy glares as I miserably shielded the word mitochondria with my elbow. How much more embarrassment did God want me to endure? But if we complained, Mrs. Pike Knight would quote Luke 9.26, He who is ashamed of Christ on earth, Christ will be ashamed of him on judgment day. The Pike Knights explained that there were two ways to convert our friends. The first and most desirable was the direct witness, which meant working Bible verses naturally into conversation. The direct witness was what crazy Hosuk Namgung did. Every day during lunch period, Hosuk Namgung would pull out her red pocket Bible that was never in her pocket, but always open in her hands and cry to whoever wanted to listen, and especially to those who did not, believe in Jesus or you will perish. This was not for me. But I knew I had to witness if I didn't want to go to hell. There was something called the silent witness, which meant entailing wearing something that indicated we were Christians and then behaving so well that people would nod to each other and wonder, huh, what is this Christianity thing? I gotta get me some. And since the silent witness seemed like the easier of the two options, I went to the Christian bookstore to get an inconspicuous silver cross. But on my way to the jewelry section, I saw a blue t-shirt with gold lettering that read, Feel the force, Jesus. I looked at the t-shirt and wondered what its slogan could mean. Was it supposed to be feel the force of Jesus? And they just dropped the of to give it more of a pop? Then I panicked. Did Jesus think I was ashamed of him because I didn't want to wear this t-shirt? Was he going to be ashamed of me on judgment day because I was ashamed of this t-shirt and therefore ashamed of him? I paid for the shirt at the cash register, bracing even then for my impending humiliation. Then I slumped home, holding the shopping bag away from my body as if it were a sack of <laughs> determined to prove with this deliberate act of social self-immolation that I was not ashamed. The next morning I walked into homeroom wearing the Field of Force Jesus t-shirt. My classmates were silent at first as they struggled to puzzle out the shirt's elusive message. Then Eric Kirschenbaum stood up on his desk and began leading the class and singing, Jesus and Maggie sitting in a tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G. I joined in, hoping I could be in on the joke and not the object of it. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes baby in the baby carriage. After the fifth round, I dropped out and just stared at the lines in my hands until the bell rang. Every now and then, I looked up at my classmates to acknowledge how funny the joke was. On the walk home, I relived my humiliation, scrupulously reviewing each horrific component, 
the smirks I had received at the beginning of each class when fresh eyes landed on my flat chest, flattened further by the ill-fitting t-shirt with the very uncool slogan that no one could understand. The giggles and looks exchanged behind my back and Errol Lopiccolo saying in his most understanding tongue, Hey, I don't care what anyone else thinks. I think your t-shirt is cool. Before shouting, just kidding! And laughing so hard he almost fell down. I recognized that despite my mortification, or indeed because of it, my project had been a success. From the moment I had put on the t-shirt in the morning and all through the day, fear of damnation had not appeared in my mind. I had successfully swept the familiar demon away with the more acute and immediate pain of eighth grade social humiliation. Maggie Rowe reading from her book, Sin Bravely, a memoir of spiritual disobedience. Now, you're not alone. Is it, a, is it a situation of degree? I've talked to so many people who like have doubted whether the prayer took, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but most people are able to brush those feelings away and focus on the finite. And I wasn't. I couldn't swipe it from my mind Anything that seemed fun, you know, like, you know, I'd I'd be at a softball game. I used to play softball. And in the middle of running around the bases, I would go, oh, my God, did I really mean it? Did I really mean it with all of my heart? Um, So I think many people worry about it, but I think mine ended up being the extreme. Well, and you and And actually... The person who worried about it more than anyone in history, probably, (laughs) um, is Martin Luther. Yeah. Uh, He uh, was so obsessed about that he wasn't going to make it to heaven that he posted those 95 theses on the door. He's the one that came up with faith, not works. But the catch is, <laughs> it has to be sincere faith. Ah. Um, so that makes, it, that makes it hard. I sometimes feel like if I had been Catholic, I'm just thinking this out loud at the moment, but if I had been Catholic, you go into a priest and then you have an outside person that says, you're okay. Say, say these Hail Marys. Absolved. Um, but I didn't have anything like that. It was only my best guess. And of course, my parents tried to assure me, but I was like, well, they love me. They think I'm amazing. I can't trust them. And they're wrong sometimes. Like, <laughs> I remember thinking that the one night that I was particularly worried about it, the previous night, my mom had thought that the show Tic Tac Doe came on after the Joker's Wild. And she was wrong. <laughs> it came on before. So I figured if she can be wrong about this, 
she could be wrong about my eternal destiny, too. Now, you mentioned Martin Luther, and of course, the title of your book is Sin Bravely. Um, yes. In the, in the, and you went into this uh, psychiatric, evangelical psychiatric institution. Um, yes. And, and you had a diagnosis? Uh, is that a... a... Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, scrupulosity. Is that a real thing? It's a real thing. It's a real thing. It, 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 it's um, the OCD. It's OCD around religious or moral elements. Okay. Um, so that's what I was diagnosed by with. Um, so what's the cure for that? But I had this, well, I had, I had a number of different not great therapists there. I had one that, uh, like I, I told her that I would vomit when I would get so upset about my eternal destiny. Um, and she concluded that I was bulimic and like kept insisting that I saw myself as fat in the mirror, you know, just yeah, totally saddlebags. Oh yeah. I remember that. That was really saddlebags. Yeah. <laughs> but I had an amazing therapist, um, really radical and, He's the one who told me about this doctrine of pecca fortite, which means the brave sin. And the idea is that it's more important to know that God loves you and that you're forgiven than it is to do any sinful actions. So basically, he told me, do whatever you want, <laughs> which is an odd thing in a, mm -hmm. um, uh, for a Christian to say. But it was really what I needed. He said the most important thing is for you to feel your forgiveness. And if that means that you need to sin, go ahead and sin. And he's like, you're not going to murder somebody. You're not going to, you know put a gas bomb on a train or something. Uh, so he thought it was much more important for me to um, accept that I was forgiven rather than trying to literally follow the party line. And so in a sense, uh, the, um, the healing, the, uh, the cure, so to speak, was yeah. uh, not necessarily psychological, but theological. It was. It was. And, and, Basically, it, I had to come to terms with, and it was a scary thing to come to terms with, is that I can never be certain. Like, I can't prove for certain that there is no hell and that I'm not going there. I can't prove it. So I had to be able to learn to tolerate that fear. And, and eventually I did. Uh, but it, it was this advice of Sin Bravely that really made a big difference in my life. Sin Bravely, a memoir of spiritual disobedience. Maggie Rowe, my guest on Progressive Spirit, uh, a wildly funny book about a very serious thing, about, um, I don't know, what we might call it, uh, spiritual uh, abuse in terms of growing up with just heavy doses of, of hell theology. So where are you now, if you can talk about it? I mean, one might look at this and say, well, I am totally done with anything spiritual. Um, uh, you know, ahead. I, right after uh, I was in the hospital, I started meditating. 
um, through the advice of my doctor that uh, said sin bravely. And that has really made the biggest difference um, in many ways, just the ability to watch your thoughts and not buy into them, like watch them come and go. Like I, you know, if I were having these hell fears, I would just, I would sit there and go, okay, let me just follow what my thoughts are thinking. Let me be aware of the physical sensations in my body um, and just accepting what the present moment is. And even apart from hell, uh, meditation has helped me tremendously um, as far as uh, giving space. I feel like meditation gives space uh, for different fears and different thoughts and, and anything. And so that was really, that was the thing that made the biggest difference for me. Um, I'm a member of a Zen center now, Zen center in Los Angeles um, and go there pretty regularly. And it's just mind training, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that's what's been probably the biggest difference for me. This is an important book, um, Maggie. Maggie Rowe, author of Sin Bravely, a memoir of spiritual disobedience. It's an important book because uh, obviously you're not alone in this uh, series of degrees, but a lot of um, of heavy-duty uh, religious beliefs, especially of hell and I, I know hell houses and just scaring people and all of that kind of stuff, it, it has effects. I, I was impressed that Bill Maher uh, uh, recommended your book, a sharp, genuinely funny book about the dangers of literalism and fear of the afterlife, a must-read for anyone on this side of eternity. So if Bill Maher recommends it, that's kind of interesting, <laughs> isn't it? He was actually, uh, you know, I did, a, I did a production of a hell house. Basically, they are the evangelical equivalent of a haunted house. And what happens is you go through different rooms and you see different sins. Like they have two gay men getting married. They have a school shooter. They have a girl going to a rave. Um, they have a witchcraft one. And then at the end, you see everyone being tortured in hell for their different sins. But Bill Maher um, played uh, Satan, <laughs> <laughs> which was my favorite casting of the uh -huh. whole thing. And Andy, Andy Richter was Jesus. <laughs> Maggie, we are out of time. This is a, a, a marvelous book, a funny book, and, and a serious book in a sense, too. And, uh, and much appreciation for you and for you being with me today. Oh, thank you, John. This is Progressive Spirit, progressivespirit.net. I'm John Chuck. Be well.